and welcome to 34 Circe Salon. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb here with... And I am Dawn Sam Alden, and we are launching a new sort of segment, family of podcasts, I think. Um, oh, yeah, sorry. I was talking over the music no, no. there. <laughs> I love the music, actually. I didn't know how loud it was. In <laughs> yeah. Your, yeah. your dulcet tones. There we go. My dulcet tones. Um, so we are launching a, uh, a new sort of a grouping of podcasts here on the 34 Circe Salon, Make Matriarchy Great Again. One of the aspects that we mentioned when we talked with Vicky about matriarchy and what matriarchy is, is um, an appreciation for and a relationship to the divine feminine. So we are looking at uh, questions and discussions around the divine feminine in this new series or segments, or I don't know what we're going to call it. Sisters. Let's call them sisters or I don't know. <laughs> There's a whole new name for shows, sisters. Well, it's, it, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I want the listeners to understand that. When we do our other segments, when we do these other shows on the history, these women warriors and warrior queens, we have very specific topics in mind. We have a very specific direction that we are taking the broadcast or the episode. But this is a little more personal and this is a little more exploratory where we're just trying to find our way and understand Indeed. what it means. Indeed. So, yeah. So we may ramble a little, we're just gonna warn you, but I think you'll enjoy them. Right, right. So we are gonna talk about uh, we're gonna start this with sort of an investigation of the divine feminine in our own lives. Um, so these are gonna be personal stories and um and sort of what led us to want to discover more about um, the divine feminine and how it, how we relate to it. Um, Sean and I in previous, oh, sorry, go ahead. yeah, Sean and I in previous discussions, um, just you know, on the phone, have talked about uh, the idea of there are many. There are many roads to the top of the mountain that we are all, or most of us, I don't know, I can't speak for all of humanity, but <laughs> throughout history, we have sought, human beings have sought a relationship to the divine. And I think, uh, I think people do, no matter, it may come in different forms. I mean, we, you and I are talking about a very spiritual thing. The people seem to, even when they get rid of the spiritual or the religious, they create other forms, frankly, of almost religions, whether that's political beliefs or particular mm -hmm. types of music or things that they're into. So I think we're always, as beings, seeking something greater than ourselves, some connection beyond the self. Indeed. Ultimately, that's it. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I, I'll talk a little bit more about this, but, um, you know, being raised in an atheist household, uh, even though there was no religion, 
still my dad was uh, an engineer and frankly his religion was science so we we seek structure we seek an understanding of something larger than ourselves and and we want to know what our place is in the universe and in doing that you know each of us finds our own path uh, to the top of the mountain. So we talked about uh, possibly naming this segment um, Just Start Climbing. That's right. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, which I thought was, you know, it's pretty cool. It's like you you don't have to know what path you're on even, really. But as long as you're, you're climbing, you're moving in the right direction. So... You know, I want to, you know, definitely want to talk with you about what you had told me before, which is the fact that you were raised atheist. And so you have, you make a journey, first of all, just even to finding spirituality, but then there's the divine aspect of it. And there's a lot to unpack. And again, for everybody listening, it's just, it, it is an imprecise ramble again, forgive us. But so for me, it's like, I, I really was very curious about this with you. So your concept of the divine was what as a child? I mean, whether it exists or not. Yeah, there wasn't really. I mean, I suppose, you know, as a child, our concept of the divine starts as our parents always, mm-hmm. right? Because as children, we see them as infallible beings and... And uh, they are the sources of our lives. So, but um, but on a more personal note, uh, yeah, my my um, my dad was an atheist. My mom, I found out much later, um, you know, when I was starting to poke around and, and try to figure out what I believed. Um, my mom was German, so she was raised Lutheran because that is sort of the the state religion of Germany. And um, just, just so the listeners clear, I mean, she literally was from Germ- Germany as opposed to many Americans who are of German ancestry. Like right. Yes. From Germany. She, she was born, raised and lived in Germany until my dad married her and brought her to the United States. So yeah, she, uh, she was, she was culturally German. Um, and you, your dad was old New England. Old, old New England. Uh, yeah, we're uh, ancestors on the Mayflower. We can trace our lineage directly to the Mayflower, New England. We're, you know, New England blue blood, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, so she, um, although she was raised Lutheran, I never, you know, frankly, I don't, she was always very quiet about what she believed she went through some pretty horrific experiences when she was quite young. Um, she was four years old when World War II broke out. So from four to nine, she was living uh, as a refugee in a war-torn country. Um, so I don't know how that affected her. Um, she never spoke about it, uh, no matter how many times we asked. Hmm. But... Uh, so her relationship to the divine was was private for her i think do you know what was the german under during the war 
what was the German relationship to religion? I believe traditional religion was tolerated by the German government, by the right. By the, by the, 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 the Third, Third Reich? Reich? Yeah, I believe they, but yeah, they were not. not they're not support. like communists where they, where they suppress religion. Um, the, no, the Reich was very much uh, about German culture as, and, you know, this is just from history class. I don't, I don't know yeah. any more about it than yeah. anybody else does, but it, it's my understanding that the Reich was, was uh, about, you know, German culture over everything. So it was um, like, I, it, from what I've always seen with it or read of it, it seemed like that was the religion. It was almost, they created, their own folk mythology so and it, and interestingly their folk mythology go off not to go off on a tangent but again we are rambling a little bit <laughs> it is if i remember correctly that a lot of the folk mythology of course was very male-centered of course in for the right and even the swastika itself which was a feminine symbol was reversed if i'm not mistaken well the swastika is a very ancient symbol. It's a right. symbol of protection. Right. Um, it's a protection symbol. So, uh, so Hitler was very into the occult, and so he chose the swastika um, as the you know the symbol of um, of his party because it was a, a protection. It was an old Europe protection symbol. Um, and it occurs in lots of places too. It know. does. It does. Yeah. If you look at, you look at old carvings often, you know, you'll see the, the eye and, um, and the spiral and, you know, all of these old symbols and yeah. often the swastika will be among them. It's in the East. It's, I think in certain uh, Native American tribes, it's just, it's, ev it's everywhere. Yeah. In yeah. the ancient world. So but, but he like I say, has, he switched it around. He has, you know, destroyed our ability to use it on anything yeah. uh, for, you know, at least another hundred years. It's funny. A friend of mine once said he thought it'd take a thousand, but you know, exactly. Yeah, it might. It, 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 it might. It, yeah. It could. It's, yeah. He has besmirched it um, for quite some time to come, the fucker. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I bring that up because you know, in, in this discussion about the divine feminine, there's, there's, you, you take someone, you take a group, they take the symbol, they flip the symbol in terms of its orientation. They create this folk religion, which is very male centered. And you get a, it goes without saying very distorted culture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so your mom is living in that from four to nine. Well, except she's, you know, she's, three years old. So it's not, I, I think it, it affected my grandparents more than it affected her because she was not old enough to be taking any of this in, you know, she was, she was a toddler. Um, did you talk to you? I mean, I don't, I've never asked this. They, did you talk to your grandparents? Much? They only spoke German. So, and oh, I, okay. I, you know, my German was very, very broken. Um, so I can't really talk to my relatives unless I have a translator and, you know, my mom served that purpose when we were on family visits, but, uh, uh but yeah, I never, I never really got to know my German family because there's a language barrier there. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So your mom was 
So my mom was raised Lutheran and, Mm -hmm. you know, practiced Lutheranism when she was at home. Um, I know they had a family Bible that they lost during the war. Um, It was uh, with a lot, with all of their possessions. Um, They hid all their possessions. They buried them under uh, the house that they lived when the, in, when the war broke out. And, um, it is in what is uh, a town called Zulberg, which was Germany before the war, and after the war was Poland. Oh, okay. So uh, when they finally were able to get back to Zulberg, uh, the place where their house stood is now a parking lot. So. Was it when they got back there, or? Yeah. Yeah, oh, it, was wow. a, it was a parking lot when they got back there. So a paved over parking lot. So, um, you know, either their belongings were discovered when they were doing the construction oh or it is, you know, buried under asphalt. So they lost everything. The family silver, the family Bible, <sighs> it's all gone. Yeah. Yeah. So my mom, um, so my mom never spoke about religion really. But I think that just like my artistic part of my soul, you know, the the part that makes me an actor and and makes me love to write and read poetry and all that sort of thing. um, I think that came through my mother, even though she never spoke about it directly. She, um, she was incredible, an incredible crafter. She could knit, crochet, paint, um, create. I mean, she just, she would look at things in magazines and then she would recreate it out of spare parts and hang it on the wall. I mean, she was, she was incredible. And she loved nature, loved nature. She uh, was a member of the Audubon Society in Massachusetts where we, we lived for many years. And she, so she would, we would walk through the woods. We would go on long walks through the woods and she'd bring her camera, her 35 millimeter camera. And she would point out all of the wildflowers that grew in the woods that she'd, you know, call them by their Latin names and their common names. And so through her, I learned to be dazzled by the world around me that Mm -hmm. everything everything around me is a source of delight and wonder when you were going through nature like that because there's a couple of ways obviously there is the science version of being dazzled by it of just wondering the what building blocks made these things occur and how they occur and what the processes are, etc. And there is also the divine way of connecting with it or communicating. Yeah, so I mean, you find yourself it, I, divine? Yeah, I mean, it really seemed less when I was with her, even though, you know, she called things by their Latin names. It was it was such a sense that came from her of of, of the joy of their existence. Like we would come across a flower and just, she was so full of joy at its existence that, that I absorbed that. 
And, uh, you know, even now when I walk the dogs, I'll, I'll be walking along and, and, you know, I'll see a leaf on a tree that will just, it'll just fill me with joy. Mm. Um, so that that's was, a, that was a beautiful. Thing. It, it is. I'm, I'm incredibly grateful that I, that my mom was able to teach me that without, you know, without even teaching me it. I just, she was, she was an amazing woman, but you know, um, I could go on and on for hours about how amazing she was. And that's not really what we're talking about. So. No, it's so, no, it's so wonderful. It's still, it's and it also, but it so also, feel free, feel free to talk about it. As yeah. I mean, it also, you yeah. know, I suppose in a larger sense, it has a lot to do with my adoration and, um, and, uh, worship is the wrong word, but my devotion, my appreciation of the feminine in life, you know, mm. like I have a wonderful relationship, had a wonderful relationship, still do, even though she's passed, um, have a wonderful relationship with my mother. Um, and that became a model for all of my relationships with the women in my life. Like I, I have amazing female friends, mm. um, that I, you know, love and grapple to my heart with bands of steel. And I think it's because my mother and I had such a good relationship that I, I learned how to have good relationships with other women from her. It, it does seem like, you know, we do pick up these cues, right? We pick up cues about our interactions based on our earliest interactions, you know, with parents, siblings, family, yeah, yeah. And just people around. But for, especially for something like this, where you have that good relationship to a female figure, it yeah. gives you that gateway, like you say, to those interactions with women. But it's also interesting. It also seems to have given you a, a an interest in feminine aspects of the divine. But I guess the first thing is how did you start to take in the divine just generally like yeah you saw it because you have this yeah because i was re atheist, raised you know. as an atheist exactly and you know we'd sit around the dinner table and if anything having to do with organized religion came up in discussion you know it was immediately poo-pooed by uh, the patriarch of our family so um so when i had my rebellion you know when you have your teenage and pre-teenage rebellion one of the ways that I acted out was I would sneak out and go to church. <laughs> I, would, I uh, would tag along with my various friends of various um, uh, religious practices. Oh, my God. And, oh. yeah, and would sneak out and go to church with them. Now, hold on. I, I wanted, remember I, I had just asked you if you'd watch the show The Americans. I totally forgot this. In the show, the basic setup is that these are, they call them illegals. It was a Soviet program, supposedly, and there seems to be evidence that it existed, that trained spies to see more American than the average American, and they would plant them here, give them false histories, and they would raise their kids, et cetera, et cetera. So in the show, there's a couple, a man and woman. They're both spies. They both have to do a lot of, um, you know, 
dangerous things for their country. Right. They are true believers. They are communists who don't believe in God uh, and really just have a, an antipathy towards religion. And they have a daughter and son. And the daughter rebels by becoming a devout, born-again Christian. She gets <laughs> baptized. <laughs> and now the daughter doesn't know the parents are yet, that the parents are spies. She just knows right. that they just don't have any religious structure whatsoever. Right. And it's one of the most fascinating parts of the show isn't just the daughter making rebellion, but the fury that the parents have at the very idea of religion. So, right, yeah. Anyway, there's your, your yeah. So another reason for you to take a look at that show. There you go. There you go. Yeah. But, so you rebel. Um, yeah, so I rebelled. So that was my rebellion against, you know, against the uh, scorn with which uh, religion was held in my ho- in my household when I was growing up. Is that a conscious rebellion? I mean, I wonder what that. I mean, were you conscious, like, hey, I'm going to do this and take them so. off, or like? Yeah, I think it was more that you know, I was when you hit those those preteen and early teen years, you know, your entire being is focused on trying to figure out who you are and who you are individually as separate from you know, your, your parents' expectations and your, um, the traditions in which you were raised and the beliefs that, you know, uh, that, uh, are, are supposed to be yours and are entrenched in your community, you know, all that kind mm-hmm. of thing. You, you rebel against all of that. You, you're trying to figure out, you know, what fits who you are as a person. And, um, so I think it was more about like, you know, my dad poo-pooed religion. And so I wanted to find out what it was about, you know, is it, mm-hmm. would it be for me, even if it wasn't for him? And um, so it was kind yeah. of, a, so you just intellectually thought, well, you know, okay, wonder, was it, I guess let me rephrase that. So was it that you intellectually thought, I wonder what this is about? I've been told this is not something to take seriously, but I'm going to look into it. Or was there also a part of it where you'd been in nature, you'd connected, and you you just felt like, I want to see if there's something more. Like, was it which? I, I hadn't there? made no. It was the first because I hadn't made the connection yet. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that came later. Um, but yeah, I snuck out. You know, I snuck out and went to. I went to a Catholic service. I went to Episcopal services. I went to. Um, uh, I went to actually the the one that came closest to um, feeling right for me was I actually went to a Quaker ceremony. I went oh, to that, a Quaker. What was that worship. like? It was amazing. It was um, it was you know, and this was many many years ago now. But what I remember about it was that um, it was just everybody sitting on on. Uh, in a square, you know, they had benches and the benches were arranged in a square so that everyone, you know, there was no head of the church. Everyone was facing each other and, um, and people would speak and then they'd stop speaking and then it would be quiet until someone else felt moved to speak and they'd say something and then it would be silent 
And then one person started speaking and just started speaking. And you could tell that they were getting all up in their own feelings and they were, you know, essentially um, sort of spewing, you know, they weren't speaking in a mindful manner. They were just um, starting to run off at the mouth. And Mm -hmm. I remember that the person next to them just put their hand on that person's knee and the person oh. like sputtered and and sputtered out and stopped talking and was just quiet so it was just this this such a subtle reminder of like that's not what we're here for you know you're taking up you're taking up too much space your your um commandeering the room and making everything about you you need to remember why we're here. Interesting. So why did you, why did that appeal to you? I, 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 I think because it was so egalitarian, hmm. you know, it wasn't about someone standing up at the front and telling everybody else what to think and what to believe. Hmm. Um, it was, it was about the people in that room having holding space to have a spiritual experience together. Sounds a lot like the early church, the stuff I've read of the early Christian church. Yeah. How they they gathered and how they had services, how they worshipped. That's a very interesting notion. I wonder how much that was connected to that. Maybe, yeah, yeah. So long story short, um, you know, I tried a bunch of stuff and none of it ever really stuck. So I just sort of floated around, um, you know, through the rest of high school and and college. Um, And when people would ask me, you know, uh, if I believed in God or whatever, you know, I would say I'm I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. and then many years later, I think it was, I think I was already living in Chicago at the time. Um, I, uh, I read the book or someone loaned me the book or I saw it on someone's shelf. I don't even remember how it, how it crossed my path now. But, um, but I read the book uh, Drawing Down the Moon by Margot Adler. And that is a sociological study of paganism in the United States. Mm-hmm. So she traveled around the United States and uh, she just talked to pagans and it's a huge hodgepodge of everything. You know, there are Santeria, there are Wiccan, there are Native American, there are, you know, all these different, um, basically anything that wasn't, you know, Judeo-Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, um, or uh, Confucianism, or, you know, any mm-hmm. of the, the big six religions that most people in the world follow. Um, and as I was reading the book, I realized there there is a name for me. And this is it. I'm a pagan. I'm a pagan. Mm. Why? I mean, why? What about these particular groupings? Is it because there, what about the big six doesn't appeal to you, isn't you? And what about these groupings is? Well, number one, 
in the big six, women are always second-class citizens in every one of those religions, whether or not it's, and these are the religions I'm talking about. So the established, the established body of practicers, I'm not talking about the tenets of the religion, you know, Christianity says a lot of really cool things, but the Christian church doesn't always practice all of those cool things. So I'm talking about the the religious establishments now. It's interesting in the early, we'll talk about this at another point, but the early church and the early development of the Christian church, there was an enormous level of egalitarianism in terms of gender. Yeah. So, yeah. And, yeah. But anyway. But it's on. not so present that, so, today in so, the Christian yeah. church because, you know, women are, women are responsible for original sin, right? So we are always the ones that, you know, if it comes down to, um, you know, someone's gonna gonna take the blame for something, gonna take the fall. At, you know, and that's where that expression comes from for crying out loud. You know, it's uh it women are always um subjugated by the big six. What's the phrase? Eve was framed. Eve was framed. There you go. Yeah. Uh, it is it is interesting because you know it's gonna be difficult for me to talk about faith in this way. So yeah. That I can. What has always struck me and has always bothered me was that particular thing, because it becomes it's very clear that the notion of the original sin being the fault of Eve. There's no question that, like you say, it produces a sensibility by which women are a problem. I mean, it's no different, to be quite frank, it's that's to take a, an early or old pagan religion like the Greeks. There's no difference there with Pandora. There's no difference there with Hesiod who talks about these types of things. There is some element that seems like a response. I think that's what's driven me personally to kind of look into the topics you and I are talking about. It's like there's why this continual assertion of a problem with the opposite sex. Yep. Yep. And, and I think because for the societies that were in place, um, where the big six originated being, you know, male dominated societies, I think the religion, whatever its original, um, tenets were, whatever its beginnings were, over the centuries and the millennia, these religions have been shaped by men in power who are interested in keeping that power. Mm. And so the teachings from the pulpits of today um, are very interested in retaining that, um, that framework of keeping the women guilty and responsible for all the bad things in the world and keeping the men around who, so that they can, you know, keep tabs on the women and make sure the women that, you know, don't do, don't introduce more evil into the world or something like that. I don't know. It's a troubling thing when you receive these teachings. I mean, coming from my own framework where I am a practicing Catholic, I am, I believe in my faith. I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I, as I told you, and we'll talk about, I have a very strong devotion to Mary. 
Yeah. And it is troublesome for me because you get a received teaching that, or I would say a received instruction might be one way to put it because mm -hmm. Christ, I think it's pretty clear in the New Testament, he is extremely egalitarian. He's yeah, extremely absolutely. And, and supportive. What develops around this structured organized religion becomes a notion about the feminine, which is this passed through that there is a problem, that it's fallen, that it's problematic. And I then look at what I read and I don't see the same things that they're seeing in these things. Right. I don't see the same things from the center of our faith. Which well, is it's, Jesus. it's so interpretation. It's like, Your yeah. interpretation of the words is, you know, is different than perhaps the, the, um, the papal bulls that have come down throughout history to, you know, to say women are responsible for everything bad in the world. And it's amazing, no matter what, and this is the thing I would talk about with even contemporary movements of rebellion. It's like, even when there'd be religious rebellion, that rebellion still seemed to maintain one thing in particular as a stranglehold. They may want to break away from the power or control of Rome. They want to make break away from individual prelates or whatever, mm -hmm. but they don't really break away, at least that I have seen, that much from the power or notion that is patriarchal. That remains. Like, that just gets pulled over. It's freedom for me, freedom for me to worship as I wish to worship, but not freedom for everyone. Right. to be treated equally in worship. So right. we've gone, and which is what we're going to do. We're rambled on. So you you found that these, so, these yes. big six were too patriarchal for you. Yeah, the big six were too patriarchal. And when I found Drawing Down the Moon and I read about all the different forms of paganism, and, you know, there's there are forms of paganism that are, that are also quite patriarchal. Um, but it opened up for me the possibility of a, of a type of worship or a, a more structured spirituality that, that explored the divine feminine, that acknowledged and, and appreciated the divine feminine. And uh, so what eventually happened, I, I went to a lot of, um, I found a really wonderful group in Illinois called the Rainbow Tribe, which is a bunch of non-Native American, um, racially non-Native American people who follow Native American spirituality. Mm -hmm. um, and so I have, you know, I, I have had experiences with sweat lodge and with vision quest and with um you know i've been lucky enough to be able to experience some sioux native ceremonies um what gelled for me was a marriage of all of these things a marriage of my love and wonder with the natural world my positivity and uh, love of my relationships, my feminine relationships, and a need for a divine feminine, a need for an appreciation of the feminine and what is holy about it, 
all of these these things, these aspects coalesced together. And my spirituality now is kind of a cross between Native American spirituality and Wicca in that it is an eco-centric practice that honors the wheel of the year so that there are times when the energy of the year is building and encouraging us to to build as well and there are times when the energy of the year is dying and the energy then encourages us to focus more on wrapping things up, on closing things, on shutting things down, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, when I pray, my, my divine being, um, the Sioux call it Wakan Tanka, which is great mystery. Um, That's a beautiful, yeah, beautiful isn't that phrase. Great mystery. Um, my great mystery in my mind, is feminine. Mm -hmm. Um, What does that mean? How does that, I mean, obviously I'm asking, how does that manifest itself? This, your great mystery is feminine, or is just a conception, or is it something in in practice? It's a feeling. Like that poem I posted, God is a Mother. Mm -hmm. That is, for me, that, just makes more sense Mm. that if you know that this great mystery if there is a divine being out there if there is a consciousness out there that excuse me it just makes more sense to me that it is it is feminine in nature because what creates in nature the female it's the feminine that creates, that gives birth, that, you know, for the most part, although there's, you know, there are definitely species where the nurturing is either shared or completely taken over by the male. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a certain amount of nurturing that has to be done by the mother because the mother produces milk. Right, right in mammals so you know the whole idea of nursing the child that is the first that is how the child survives post-birth you know that that um without the nurturing and the nursing of the mother the child would would die right so to me there is something that just makes sense that if I'm going to pray, if I'm going to acknowledge a divinity, that that divinity is female. It's interesting to hear you talk about it because you are reconstructing something that you can, one can look back in mythology and see was clearly deconstructed. I'm always (laughs) struck by the Greeks and how they take the greatest of pains to show that the mother is not as important in the whole birth process as she might seem. Uh, and so for the listener, what that is, uh, what I'm saying is that the Greeks would explain things like saying most of the, the, the birth traits will come from the father or the, the idea that the, 
the woman is just kind of like fertile soil and it's the father right. who's planting the seeds. I mean, there's all these sorts of things. And even in the mythology. And that's still, you know, that that concept is still being spouted by, by uh, you know, preachers in America today. I mean, it wasn't too long ago. I think it was like a couple of years ago where one of those Congress, a congressman basically said, you know, that, that the woman is just the womb. You know, they're just there to provide the womb, but really the children are for the father and, and that, you know, that, that women are only providing the womb. It was, it was so, yeah, it was horrifying. And insane. It's, it's really, it is straight out of, you know, fifth century BC Athens. I mean, it's this, that's a really frightening way of looking at stuff, but it's, but there, that's seems to be a really important deconstruction in cultures, patriarchal cultures, because you have to provide the proof that there is yeah. a reason for the patriarchy to be at center. So yeah. So you're un- reconstructing something. Uncoupling creation from the female element is necessary for patriarchy. And I yeah, and I guess on some basic level i felt that uh that dissonance and before i could have a spiritual life i had to reconnect those things Mm. you know i i think about that in a general sense too with just women generally i wonder i I obviously don't have that experience of sitting in the pulpit and seeing just by nature the gender that i am portrayed in a light which is negative or problematic yeah. And I think, well, what is that experience for women within a faith, mm-hmm. you know, shown in particularly mainstream faith, the notion things continually being handed to you in terms of wisdom, received wisdom, that you are to surrender, that you are flawed, that you are at best, you get this kind of really patronizing to not to use a pun. Mm. way of saying you're not flawed we're each different and unique in our own ways you just have a certain natural role and it's not any worse than mine i just mine is to lead you know that kind of thing yeah. which I, yeah. I find i find people who talk like that really just kind of be writing and it happens on all realms of life it happens obviously gender and race and ethnicity all kinds of stuff you mm-hmm. see that same sensibility of i'm just a natural leader it's like and it's yeah. usually spouted by people who have no business leading themselves yeah you know down the street so it's exactly, it's, exactly. it's like okay indeed yeah yeah so tell me a little bit about you and how you know you said you were raised catholic um does that mean that you know you were going to church when you were a babe in arms or did you did you come to it did you come to it or I came forth that. into the world giving blessings, Dawn. Did you? I came Did out you? and I yeah. was just like, and you're... there was a star in the east and yes. your mother No, was... no I wouldn't go there. <laughs> no, I will not. I will not. No. Absolutely. Blasphemy. That's exactly. See, that's how Catholic I am. I won't even go there. Um, no, we're all raised Catholic. We're all very, I would say, comfortably Catholic. And my, what I liked about how big Just, is your family? I have two brothers and two sisters. I technically have three brothers, as I had a little discussion about last week, because I am a twin, and my twin right. did not survive. Right. Uh, 
So I have two brothers and two sisters. So, and I have a set of twin brother and sisters. It's Barbara and Brian, and then Tracy, and then Arthur, in from younger to oldest. And I'm the youngest of the five. So we're all Catholic. We all are practicing Catholics, and their, their children were raised Catholic. So for me, it's it's as much a culture, you know, mm -hmm. as it is religion. For me, it's about, and I never had a conflict about it. I still haven't. I have the, the not about the religion itself. I have sometimes I have my own sense that that feminine divine is missing in so much of our energy. But for me as a Catholic, I find it very deeply in Mary. So mm -hmm. part of Catholicism is the idea that Mary is intercessor. The right. idea is that you can pray to Mary that she will take your prayers to Christ, her son. And you do this in the rosary, which I find a very intense, a very powerful experience to pray the rosary. Mm. You know, it's like I said at the very beginning, it would be hard for me to, to talk, but it'll, I'll, you know, eventually we'll, we'll come around to different concepts. But that, for me, faith, even as a boy, the sense that there was something beyond was very clearly there to me, very clear. Like it's always been clear there is something else out there. And I think part of it was I saw things happen when I, th that things would happen when I prayed. I, I experienced like I would pray about something and I would just pray for help or pray for, <laughs> pray for something just kind of like to, to unfold a certain way. And it would often happen, you know, and whether, you know, people can say, any sorts of thing. I'm not here to say anything is, you know, forcing people to believe that the that cause and effect process is there. It's just simply that was my experience. Okay. And also it was an experience of the energy of it. Like I felt a presence, even mm -hmm. as a boy, I felt something. I felt something when I was in a church, I felt something different in a church than when I was not in a church. You know, I felt something different when I prayed than when I didn't pray. I still feel that I still, you know, I, at a moment now where it's kind of a spiritual desert in the sense that I feel like, okay, I, I need things to change and occur. It's been a very difficult, I'd say easily last decade, mm -hmm. maybe longer. I think this whole century has been bizarre and there is an energy about certainly the last 10 plus years or so. That's been very strange. And of course, with the pandemic and everything breaking out, it's upended so many things. So for me now, I am at a point where I'm like, is, you know, will my faith be rewarded for want of a better term? Will hmm. I be protected? Will I be helped? Will I be given security? I, you know, I'm watching people that I was, you know, I go to a church regularly. I have a regular church that I go to that I volunteered at. And I'm even when the COVID breakdown came, what was that? That was the that was the Catholic motorcycle gang. That was, <laughs> that was is now going around my house, just making sure that you know, waiting for me to come out with our yeah, yeah. They're making sure that you don't you don't say anything off program. Yeah, exactly. I've got to keep it keep that special Vatican secret. Um, yeah, anyway, right. so well, do you, yeah, do I'm you watching them be scattered, you know, and I'm watching yeah. their lives change. Do you believe that God has a plan? Like, do you believe that there's a plan? Yes. 
I think my belief is is a proactive kind of faith. Like I believe, I, I or I'll say I want to believe and I mm-hmm. feel that we can change our lives. We can go in a different direction. I like to we believe We have that free will. Right? We have free will and that we also have divine love and grace that that our will, you know, we're not always going to will those things that we want. Everything won't necessarily work. There's a, too many different atoms in the universe with different directions and paths. And sometimes it'll work and sometimes it doesn't. I'd like to believe that overall, if you are true to your pathway and your path is true, that it will work. I want to believe that. Right. But I, my thing is when, when everyone says God has a plan and I've been hearing it a lot from people as these things break out, I recognize there's a lot of truth in there. Like if you, we, there are things in my own opinion that are bigger than you. You're brought to a different place. You're thrown into a different circumstance. There's stuff that happened to me in the last five years. I don't even understand why. I was put through the paces in a sense and still feel put through it. So I, again, that's where I do go. Okay. I'm sure there's a plan here. I believe there's a plan here, but I also want to believe and I continue to pray that there is space for that plan to have input so that I could be like, okay, this is the plan I would really like. And could you help me with that? And could you, bring me to that. And it's interesting that I use the rosary more than anything in that prayer, but I, I go to the feminine divine as my intercessor. And I don't know what mainstream Vatican teaching would say about that. I hopefully it'd be understood in terms of what, what I mean by it. Mm-hmm. He said that what our center of our faith is Christ. And we understand that, but that I think this notion of the fact that I feel that deeper that deepest connection with Mary is that thing of the feminine divine that I was talking to you about. And the thing that I begin to question is still as well, it's like, why can't that be more explicit in so many ways? And looking at early Christianity where Sophia essentially is right. the concept of wisdom, right. but there's also the concept of the Holy spirit. Right. You know, so many things are changed around gender swapped. Yeah. So, yeah, we so, talked yeah. a little bit about the Gnostic Gospels and how there are some Gospels um, that were, you know, uh, when when Catholicism decided what was canon and what was not, some mm-hmm. Gospels were thrown out and were deemed heretical. And some of those Gospels call the Trinity Father, Mother, Son, yeah. as opposed to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the feminine was was in some early sects of Christianity, the feminine was included in the Trinity. It's very strongly there early on. And I am always of the belief that, or interpretation, the better way to put it, that you, when you have such a strong Greco-Roman influence, you know, Constantine has a vision. That's the Emperor mm-hmm. Constantine. So he has a vision in the fourth century, I believe it is. And that's the vision which sets in motion Christianity becoming the official faith of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. And it's it is an amazing switch because obviously we all know the story of the martyrs and the persecution of Christians that had occurred in the century, just really a century beforehand, a little more so. Yeah. So it's an amazing changeover. But you also, in that changeover, in that protection, you now inherit a structure which, on the one hand, you know, it's important to realize it was a helpful structure because you now have a vast number of people 
that you're trying to reach out to. And so you have the incredible efficiency of Rome with that, but you're also inheriting Roman sensibilities. Yes. Those sensibilities are not very pro-female. So, right. right. Yeah. So yeah. It's, that's not going to, whatever wins the day is not going to be the divine feminine in that case. What wins mm-hmm. the day in that case is definitely going to be a muscular, masculine approach to faith. Right. Right. And it sure as heck was. Yeah. So, it's not so when you, Mm-hmm. And and maybe this is different depending on how you're praying, whether you're praying the rosary or whether you're praying in church or whatever. But like, how does God feel to you? It's that's a really good question because that's the thing that I was saying as a boy. It does, I feel an energy when I pray. You know, I, again, I, I'm in a moment now, which is a difficult time. I'm in a a time when I would like a lot of things to move in a certain way. I'm trying to see if I can will or move the spirit to be able to get the things done I need to get done, many of which involves what we're doing right here now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the centerpiece of it. That's the thing I want to put together and put out, these, this creative construct. Okay? Um, but it's a precarious moment so that as I pray, now I am in a feeling of fearfulness because I pray and I do feel an energy. But if I don't see that things are moving or changing, or if I look back over years and I think, well, I've prayed about this for so long and there doesn't seem to be a lot of a shift at this moment. You know, am I, am I praying the wrong way? Am I reaching out the wrong way? Am I, what have I done? I mean, I'm often asking now, how shall I pray to you? Mm. I'm often asking how or in, to whom shall I pray? But am I not, you know, because as we talk about the divine feminine, is there some other direction, force or spirit in which to pray? Like, how do I do that at this point? Because that really is an issue for me literally at this moment in life. Like, what is, what, what can change things as I need them to change? How can I change my life the way I want it to change? How can I move my life in the direction I want it to move? And so the feeling I get is a very strong feeling when I pray, but I, when I, if I look out and see what has occurred, is it there? As some say, well, it's there, you're just not seeing it. But, you know, we're temporal beings, we're corporeal beings. Right. Whatever's happening here, I need to see it. If I don't right. see it, it's not. If you don't you know, see it, you don't see it. Yeah. If I don't see it, I don't see it. If I don't yeah. see it, it's not shifting. Yeah. So, so, so sort of there. to put it in, maybe to put it in the same metaphor that we used at the beginning of this program, you might be wondering if you're walking in the right direction or yeah. you're walking on the right path. You're still heading to the top of the mountain, but you're not sure if maybe you need to be stepping on different ground. Yeah. Am I caught in a thicket? Am I caught in weeds? Am I going in circles at this point? You know, again, it's a, it's an interesting thing because my connection, my, my connection to my faith is a very deep and personal and strong one. And my belief, I mean, I, I can say that I have a, very strong belief that there is something above like it never i never doubt i should not let me put it this way i I rarely doubt 
that there isn't a higher power. I really doubt that there is a higher power, I should say, because I believe that there is one. Mm-hmm. So if it's, and I like I say, I've seen enough things occur in my life. I've seen enough things where it literally is like, this pattern is just too clear, too uh, common, too regular for it to just be a coincidence. Like it's there. These things mm-hmm. are, there is a response to what I'm putting out. It's not always the response I want, but right. it's a response for sure. So I'm in a situation where I think, am I, again, am I going in the right direction? I mean, I really need, you know, like I say, don't doubt the higher power so that if something isn't working, oh, there's, you know, I don't think, oh, there's nothing there. This is silly. I think, oh, I'm not doing something or I need to look in another direction or I need to move in a different way. And I'm usually asking for help about a move. You know, tell me, am am I not? approaching you right or should I approach somewhere else is there another another yeah. you know divine space that I should be going into and and again it's I think that's why when you talk about the feminine divine and the idea of the mother and the idea of that kind of like natural notion of looking for this I think you had put this this idea of how did you describe it the versus the the judgmental all accepting yes. versus all accepting could you say that yeah really yeah great. um one of the one of my friends back at northwestern um she and i think she got this from song lyrics or something but she used to call the the sort of christian god a dry desert god with no sense of humor and uh, wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, so the, the, at least the God of the old Testament is a very judgmental God. Like if you don't do what I say you should do when I say you should do it, then I'm going to blast you with 40 years of locusts. You know, it, it is the, the father God has this sense of conditional love. Mm -hmm. Um, At least for me. You know, I'm talking about my point of view here. Whereas the mother god, one of the pagan sayings about the goddess is she is mother of all or mother of none. In other words, she loves her children, period, Mm -hmm. unconditionally. You are a child of the goddess. She loves you. There are no, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to, you know, pray to her a certain way or whatever. It's just, you are held in the love of your mother. What's interesting about that is I I think about this with Old and New Testament, because you open up the New Testament and you have, especially Gospel of John, you have this like almost transcendent beatific, you know, sense of language word and spirit you have a different kind of relationship with god than you have in the old testament and i and i don't you know i'm not a biblical scholar so i would be curious as to the thought process behind the old testament and new testament together i know that obviously part of it is cultural because these were mm-hmm. people who were jews who are now embracing a messiah okay mm-hmm. uh, who was of the faith but is now leading the faith in a different direction so having that Old Testament was important, but there is a really big difference, at least in my feeling about God in terms of how it feels in the Old versus the New Testament. And I really even keep New Testament specific to the Gospels, because even getting into the Acts, you get something that still I think is still beautiful there. 
but in some of the letters, now you're talking about interpretations of what Christ was teaching. So right. thinking about the canonical gospels, and I also talk about the Gnostic gospel, Thomas, I think I would put in there as yeah, well. Yeah, Thomas, Philip, and, and uh, beautiful and stuff. Judas. Yeah, yeah it's, there are some incredible stuff in there. Incredible things in there. And, so, and that's a more really embracing, it's like you described the goddess love. It's that embracing, all-loving, all-accepting God. And I think that's, and it's interesting if you note when you get reactionary Christian from the pulpit, they almost always quote the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. it's, it's as if they forget all the forgiving, loving, and accepting things Christ teach, taught in the New Testament. The Testament, which is supposed to be the basis for the name, what you call yourself, which is Christian. Right. That it's derived from Christ. So it's like, okay, why are you always using the Old Testament to justify your intolerance? Yeah. Well, you know why. Okay. And that, and I just find that really interesting. It's, yeah. it, you'd be very hard pressed to use Christ to point to an intolerance or lack of forgiving. Mm -hmm. It's the idea of saying, I forgive you always. I forgive you seven times seven. You know, it's just... Mm -hmm. I yeah, think that's in the yeah. yeah, and the and the, but the whole the whole concept of forgiveness is is already one step removed from from unconditional love. It's like I see, yeah, I see. What you're you see what I mean? Like there's a there's a there's a blame, there's a censure, there's a fault, and then there's forgiveness of that fault. I whereas, think, whereas, mm -hmm. well, in terms of the commandments, like, you know, there are 10 commandments and you're supposed to follow them as a Christian. The pagans have what they call the pagan read, and that's spelled R-E-D-E. -E. Mm -hmm. And there is only one. And it says, and ye harm none, do what you will. So in other words, do whatever you want as long as you're not hurting other people by doing it. Now, it sounds is. like there's an incredible amount of freedom in that, but the, and there is, but the other half of that is there is an incredible amount of responsibility mm -hmm. in that. That your focus is to not, not harm others. And adding the Native American spirituality to that, they talk about the good red road. They talk about walking in rhythm with the earth. So living your life in a way that you are in harmony with the standing ones, the swimming ones, the flying ones, the two-leggeds, the four-leggeds, everything that grows on this earth if you walk in harmony with it, then you are living a holy life. But if you walk in opposition to it, if you believe that you were given dominion over it, and therefore you can use it to your purpose as opposed to its purpose, then you are living in an unholy way and you will destroy yourself and those around you. It's, it's interesting because there are, you know, again, there are parallels in the New Testament about the attitudes and about simply 
loving and understanding and treating others as you would yourself be treated. Right. It, it's, it's an interesting, I think that for me is the greatest tension that I feel just as a Christian is because I just find that just embracing Christ's teachings in and of themselves are very simple and very beautiful and very open and very understanding. It's the, a lot of the other framework around it mm. that has occurred both from authority structures and also from earlier, earlier teachings, teachings that predate him um, in terms of speaking on the scene. So, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's interesting because those things that I like are very much a feminine divine sensibility. Right. And when yeah. you look at some of the Gnostic stuff, you see a very clear kind of yes. feeling about where that feminine divine is. And, you know, the early, even the notion of who the disciples were. Right. Again, this is just an interpretation. There's Mary and Martha. There's the mother Mary. There's, I mean, there's so many women that supported Christ and was part of mm -hmm. Christ's mission. I mean, it then, again, this is where we get to where, there was a chance in the early church to bring us into a direction right. that would lead us to this kind of embracing feminine divine. And that's where I, you know, when we were talking about this, that's where probably the one area that in my faith where I'm like, I, I want that very clear notion of that feminine divine there right. because it is, it, because, you know, you talk about a feeling, I feel it and I feel it differently. Yes, yes. And and the and we've talked about this um but just between the two of us before the idea of the continuing presence of these female figures and their you know in certain points in history their ascendancy the cult of Mary mm -hmm. um the whole concept of chivalry and and that being an understanding that in order for a knight to be truly pure, he has to kneel at the feet of a woman because, you know, because the world kneels at Mary's feet as the divine mother of Christ. So there is your, your being drawn toward the, the divine feminine within your, the structure of your religion, mm -hmm. you are certainly not the first. Um, yeah. You know, this has been a continuing thing. And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, um, Mona Lutfi, and she was talking about, um, she was raised Catholic and she went to Catholic school and um, her favorite festival that they celebrated was the festival of Mary Magdalene because you know, they got to talk about, they got to do crafts and they got to talk about, you know, women and how women can, you know, can serve the, uh, can, can sort of move forward the church by their participation in it. And it was an opportunity for her to feel as a woman to feel included and to feel important and to feel like she had a place. Um, it's, it's interesting because in the early church, that would have been normal. That would have been the norm because so much, one of the things they talk about with the Gnostics or quote unquote Gnostics, because that were just a different branch. These are just practicing Christians. Mm -hmm. Was that these 
services were held in the home, often led by women because they were held in the home, because they were held in a place you were communing, you were eating, you were breaking bread. Well, and and going back to um, what you were talking about, how when Christianity became the official religion, then all of these practices of Roman society became Christian practices, sort of because that's the society that was practicing the Christian practices. Um, yes, before, uh, when, when Christianity was an outlawed religion, the secret masses had to take place in the home, and the home in Roman society was under the jurisdiction of women. The public sphere was under the jurisdiction of men, and the mm. private sphere was under the jurisdiction of women. So when services were held in a woman's home, they were led by the woman. Mm. So, you know, Elaine Pagels has a, has a book called When Women Were Priests. And her assertion is that those first 350 years of Christianity the mass was led by women. Yeah, I think it's, there's a lot of evidence, mostly from Elaine Bagels that I have found a lot of this information because she, yeah. of course, is the, the person that really popularized the notion of the Gnostics and the Gnostic Gospels. And yeah, there are, you know, um, Byzantine mosaics that were, um, that, you know, show women leading mass, the women as priests. There are female figures that are clearly represented as, you know, leading a service. So the evidence is there. And then, you know, when religion, when the Christian faith moved into the public sphere, when it became the religion of the state, of course, that meant that it had to be led by men. Yeah. And as is, yeah, as is the nature, as was the nature of, those particular cultures, Greece and Rome, the Greco-Roman, the classical age, it very much, I think people would be mind-boggled to know just how much was a male-dominated sensibility. Yeah. I think that is, again, what seems to have permeated and influenced so much of thinking. I mean, remember, you start to have Rome falls, so to speak, it gradually becomes weakened and powerless uh, until it splits apart, it starts to break apart. And then a lot of the teachings, except for the religious ones, are maintained, but these classical teachings are lost. Then they're rediscovered, and these you know, figures in history are admired and praised and followed by both religious and, and secular people secular men specifically we're talking about right but these ancient men had perceptions and values particularly aristotle which were very 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 negative towards women and so that begins to influence how a lot of things in both secular and religious life become structured interpreted looked at so we're inheriting a lot of this thing across time in our faith it's really not about the faith. It's about people who practice that faith or didn't even practice that faith, but the culture from which that faith began to be. Right. So we're talking about the religion as an institution right? and how the religion as an institution um, became 
more and more male dominated and and it's it's insistence on the male principle as the divine principle was a function of the institution of religion precisely and and you have so much of that although interestingly enough in the for all of its dominion male dominion in the ancient world the classical world you had in their religions their mythologies both male and female deities so you have a male divine and a female divine so it's interesting that you you receive from the culture you strip the culture's religion away so it's mm-hmm. just pushed aside you receive this religion that is your faith but you take the other aspects of the culture and that becomes the structure by which this new religion is developed, made, followed. So it's it's really interesting the way men can pick and choose what's needed to maintain their own sovereignty. Yeah. So yeah. maybe on that note. Yeah, indeed. And, and I guess I'm just going to add one more thing to put a positive spin to this. And, mm-hmm. then, and then I think, yeah, we need to close. Is that, again, even though the institution of Catholicism or Christianity has, has striven from the beginning to consolidate the male principle as that of divine and the female principle as that of, um, you know, sin and, and, you know, trying to draw people away from the divine. There has been this persistent need in this Christian institution to have some aspect of the divine feminine still present. Absolutely. And it's still there. And it's still there, you know, even millennia of, of male institution, you know, saying feminine, bad, masculine, good, there is something in us as human beings that is still drawn to that idea of a loving mother of the divine feminine that, uh, that cannot be, it cannot be eradicated. That's, that's very much what Mary feels like for those of us who pray and pray the rosary about it. She's very much this mother that you were talking to. And it's, it's a very, deeply personal i mean i can just speak for myself it's a very intense very personal it is very much like you were talking to this this cosmic the cosmic mother your divine mother and you are having that same kind of relationship and understanding and need and it's a very important spiritual experience at least for me so yeah yeah thank you so much oh there we go yeah, thank you for your openness and your and your vulnerability in this discussion. Thank you for being so encompassing and embracing in it. So we'll, we'll talk more about this. We most um, certainly will. Thank you for listening, everyone. And blessed be. Bless you.